0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week, what to read this summer. All right, let's start the show. Hey y'all, you're listening to It's Been a Minute. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders, and this episode, we are celebrating the holiday weekend with books. You know, a lot of folks I know, they spent this last year reading a lot. But some other folks, like me, read a lot less. It was harder to focus, our usual routines around reading might have been disrupted, and things in general were just more difficult. In the before times, I traveled a lot, and that was where I did most of my reading. I also love to read at bars, and that has obviously been out of the question. But now that we are getting over the pandemic, and it's summer book season and summer travel season, I want to dive back in. And listeners, maybe you do as well. So, to offer some book recommendations for this holiday weekend and beyond, I brought together in one place my two favorite bookworms to get us pumped for summer reading. Tell folks who you are.
2: Who goes first? Please? I'll go <laughs> you first. You go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. My name's Tracy Thomas, and I'm the host of The Stacks, which is a podcast all about books and reading.
3: And my name's Barry Hardiman, and I'm a fan of The Stacks. And I am <laughs> also an editor at NPR. I'm the books editor at Weekend Edition. And um, I'm and I'm a reader. I don't know why I yes, said that in are. such a weird way. Obviously, I'm a reader. I was like a six-year-old. I'm a reader. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm a reader.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's start with you two bookworms. Did y'all read more or less during this pandemic year?
2: So the pandemic was very weird for me for a lot of reasons, as I'm sure it was weird for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. But I had twins in December 2019. So I went into 2020 being like, I'm not going to read anything. I'm going to be so busy. And then the pandemic came along and I actually read. I think three less books in 2020 than I did in 2019.
1: Wait, you count how many books you read a year? Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, I have a whole
2: spreadsheet that tracks like every little detail. It's very nerdy vibes, but again, this is you invited me on because I like books, so I feel like that's on brand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I ended up reading a ton last year that it really surprised me. um, But. There were some really good books oh, last well. year, too.
1: So Tracy read a whole bunch last year. Her kids already speak three languages. <laughs> yes. She redid the house. Yes. Everything
3: was great.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, what about you?
3: Oh man, that is that's a hard act to follow. I will say I actually read more. But I read differently.
1: Hmm. Tell me.
3: So normally I have tons of physical galleys, right? Because they get sent to the office. Sam, I know you're familiar with this um, situation where it's just. Oh yeah. NPR. It's just you're like totally overwhelmed. Mountains of books. Exactly. But so when those went away, all of my galleys started to come in a digital form, and at first I was like, "This is terrible." And then I got really into it and I found I could actually read more because I tend to like to read um, sort of obsessively. Like I want to go from book to book to book of a certain kind. Mm. And so mm. being on um, digital, that really like helped me do that. So like... You know, plus just being at home and, you know, one of the things I also have kids. So for me, it's been really helpful to be like, mommy is reading and it's her job. (laughs) And I got to do that like a little bit more like mommy is reading. She is just drinking out of this tall glass and it's got grape juice, you know, so that was also Uh really helpful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To big picture out of this, I think a lot of readers had to see their reading habits change, and that really led to the publishing industry having to change a lot over the last year. You know, when lockdowns first began, the fear was that book sales were going to really fall off a cliff. That hasn't been the case. Book sales in many cases are up. Uh, As far as this year goes, print sales are up nearly 30%, according to NPD BookScan. Um, How surprised are y'all by how well the book industry has done throughout all of this, even though it's changed a lot? I'm not surprised,
2: to be honest, because so many of my friends who don't think of themselves as readers at the beginning of the pandemic were like, I finally have time to read. I'm finally going to start reading. So even if they didn't read those books that they purchased at the beginning of the pandemic, I know a lot of people reached out to me for book recommendations and Uh, they went ahead and bought those books. And I think that we also saw a similar thing last summer after the murder of George Floyd. So Mm -hmm. many people bought these anti-racist books and then again, whether or not they read them or even pick them up from a bookstore is a totally different conversation. But those are all book sales. So that makes a lot of sense to me that there was like this aspirational, I'm going to make sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. I'm going to finally read Anna Karenina. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to, you know, start knitting and I'm going to listen to audiobooks for the first time, whatever it was. But there was a lot around books and bettering oneself, especially at the start of the pandemic.
1: What's crazy though, at least for me on the outside looking in, Sales are up, but the way these sales happened, it really shifted. People were buying more online, so more sales went to Amazon and big retailers like Target and Walmart and a lot of folks who were stuck at home started to buy well established best selling author books, and the new stuff was getting discovered less right
3: I think that's right, and you know part of that is um you know exactly what sort of what happened to me, which is like if there is a huge surge in reading that is, you know, sort of ebook related, then it is going to end up that, um, you know, because Amazon really owns that market it is going to end up that that is where most of the money goes. But I will say there was a real surge in people trying to sort of protect the indies. And a lot of these indie booksellers did so many creative things. So like, Sam, I know you've been to East City Books in my neighborhood in D.C. I think you've done talks there. Um, It's a great little independent shop. And they were, you know, you could call them and say, can you put together a package for my seven-year-old? Or can you put together a package on... Um, you know, I'm getting a divorce in the pandemic. What are the books I should read? So, (laughs) you know, like, so there were these, like, people did get really creative. um, And I think, the way that people are discovering books when you're not sort of wandering through your bookstore, it's really different.
2: And also, just to kind of tack on to that, I think a lot of people were spending a lot of time on social media as well throughout the pandemic, Mm -hmm. and we're seeing newer authors that maybe wouldn't be featured on Amazon or even be featured in the New York Times that get a lot of buzz on social media that all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. you know, hit these lists or get picked up by book clubs or whatever that looks like. So there is definitely this push coming from social media because that's a way for folks to connect to other readers and to connect to books that they're not seeing you know displayed as bookseller favorites in their local indie
1: yeah so of all these new kind of publishing trends that we've seen happen in the last year with books are any of them troubling to you
3: it it's it does sort of bother me that I think that if you had a book come out in twenty twenty in particular, like you were kind of screwed. Like people, you just didn't have the same ways for people to find you. You lose that sort of that sense of um, of serendipity. That's the thing that does trouble me a little bit.
2: Yeah, the thing that troubles me, which we also sort of touched on, is that you know sales are up so much with Amazon and these big these. I mean mm-hmm. Amazon is the big retailer. I was going to say these big retailers, but it's basically just Amazon. Amazon. Who are we kidding? Um, <laughs> because they do corner the market on, you know, Audible and they and mm-hmm. they have the Kindle sales. And so it's definitely been troubling because I know that there are some other great platforms that are selling books that are giving back to indies like bookshop.org and Libro FM. Oh, just yes. like Libro FM does audiobooks and a percentage of those sales go back to the independent bookstores as opposed to all going to Jeff Bezos and them. Um mm-hmm. And so it definitely is troubling to hear you know, that the numbers are still really trending in Amazon's favor. And I think some of that is just that folks don't know that there are other options out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other trend that I think makes me a little bit nervous as a black woman and a black reader who likes to read books by folks from different marginalized groups is that we have seen a really big push for publishers to kind of push these Black books or these mm-hmm. Asian books or whatever. And I'm worried about that because I'm not sure that we're actually seeing a change overall through what's being published. And we won't know for sure because, mm-hmm. you know, book deals get signed and then it takes a few years for a book to come out. And so, I am nervous and hopeful, but also, you know, caution to to get too excited. <laughs> but we did see a book like, you know, The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett that was so incredibly mm-hmm. good. I think she sold a million mm-hmm. copies last year, which is I insane. Read it. I, mean, it's know, so I read it
1: and then I gave it right to my Aunt Betty and I was like, you got to read this <laughs> right. book.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was one of the bestsellers last year, too. And that wasn't necessarily, I mean, she had one book before, but that wasn't one of those books that I think people were were anticipating or like the big name titles, you know?
1: Yeah. We probably have a lot of listeners this episode who are in the same boat as me. Um, Reading was hard for them in a very stressful year, and they want to get back into it. I'm sure y'all are experiencing this in your own lives, and in your own work, people coming to you saying, how do I focus on books again after the apocalypse? I'm going to give you both the floor to offer any tips and advice for that.
2: (laughs) Barry,
3: you go first this time. Okay, a couple of things here. I think that when books become homework... By the way, this very much... You know, I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. This very much goes for any age reader that you're trying to, you know, encourage. Anytime books become homework, you're done. Like, you've really taken all the fun out of it. Mm. So, like, if a book has been gotten, you know, a lo- so many accolades and is out there that everybody's like, well, I have to read The Vanishing Half. And so when you pitch it to them you have to be like oh no this is a mystery and a you know an amazing epic family generational drama so mostly i think just find the thing you love and you know what if the thing you love are essays are articles you're still reading mm-hmm. you are still reading the internet that's reading yes scrolling is reading i don't believe in it but that's reading. You know, reading The New Yorker is reading. I don't believe in it. But that's reading too. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, like I really think people just need to let up on themselves. And then they will sort of get in the yeah. habit. That's my thought.
2: A thousand Mm -hmm. percent, a thousand percent. I always tell people, you're reading, even if you're reading Twitter, you're reading. Yeah. So find the things that you love and try to make it a habit in your life. And then the other part of that is setting up a place where you like to read. So Sam, you know you like to read Mm -hmm. outside of the house. So maybe that just means, yeah, okay. I'm going to bring my dog, I'm going to get my blanket, yeah. I'm going to take all the things that I need, I'm going to go to my neighborhood park, I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode, and I'm going to just mm.
1: vibe out mm. in the park, and I'm going to read. Exactly. Coming up,
0: Barry and Tracy share some book recommendations. Stay tuned. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care.
4: This episode's sponsor is PwC, which offers the following message. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. PwC pairs the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. Human-led and tech-powered, it's all part of the new equation from PwC. An officer pins a 16-year-old to the ground and punches out his teeth. But are there any consequences for the cop? For the first time, we take you inside the secret investigations that show how police protections in California shield officers from accountability. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED.
1: All right, Barry, Tracy, bookworms, you each came with a few picks for our listeners. What are they?
2: All right. So my first book I'm going to recommend is this book called *Yoke* by Mary H.K. Choi. It is young adult, mm. which is totally not my vibe. So just know that it is not super young adult because I can't handle that. It is about two <laughs> sisters and it's uh, they're in New York City. One of them is ill. The other one is not. And they are figuring out what it means to be young and to be sisters because they don't really get along. But then they've f- Kind of have to be around each other. And it's just about growing up. And one of the things I love the most about the book is that it's in the before pandemic time. So they're going mm-hmm. to the bar and they're like making out with people. And it is just the best oh thing that ever happened to me. the memory <laughs> yes. of making out with strangers in a bar. Um, <laughs> oh. And it's just the writing is so great. And for anyone who has a sibling, for anyone who has contentious family relationships, for anyone who has just wants to feel like they're in new york city again um it's just mm. such a lovely book and mary has such a gift for writing people without judging them she gives her character so much space and the story it, I st- i read it in the bath and every time i think about it i just feel like i'm mm. in a warm bath just so happy to be with these characters again
1: yeah Okay, on the list. Barry, go ahead.
3: Okay, so one of the things that I did during the pandemic is I really, really decided to spend some time in romance. And so the book that I really love that came out kind of recently um, is by Beverly Jenkins, and it's called uh, Wild Rain. And she is one of the queens of romance. Um, She's in some ways, I think, maybe the queen of black romance. So Wild Rain is just super sexy, Really okay. great characters. It's a kind of a Wild West setting, which I particularly love. And, uh, you know, it also, you're going to learn a little bit. This is the thing that people don't know about romance is that romance novelists do incredible research. And you will always find a little tidbit of history that is going to huh. make you super popular at a dinner party when you can go back to those.
1: What factoid did you learn? This past year, Barry, from reading romance. Most interesting factoid. That's a toughie.
3: Okay, so I'm trying to think of one that, like, isn't about old-fashioned underpants.
1: (laughs) Which is fine, but you could do that. You could do that. Which is
3: what I'm the most interested in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, do that, do that.
2: Okay,
3: this is so dirty, you guys. I'm so
1: embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it.
3: Well, I did not know that, like, in Regency London or whatever, that w- that women there, because it was so hard to get in and out, like, they had, a, it's like Spanx. You know how Spanx has the split in mm-hmm. the drawers so mm-hmm. that you can pee without pulling them down? Same deal. I did deal. not know that. What? You know, anyone who's put on Spanx knows that there's that hole in the bottom. You just probably don't use it. But, like, if you're wearing really tight Spanx, you're not, like, using your arm strength to get them down in your fancy dress. And Anyway, <laughs> that is what Regency ladies did, and that is not all they used that for.
1: The end. <gasps> oh, <laughs>
3: Okay, wow. okay, Don't not your parents
1: in PR. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> We're keeping that in. Give us another book recommendation, Tracy.
2: Okay, so one of the books I'm picking is out June 1st. I know that is Tuesday. I know, okay. but you have to That's wait. Okay. It is called "How the Word is Passed." It's by Clint Smith. It's a history book. So this book is all about the way that we are taught slavery and um, the enslavement of Africans in American history. So he goes to a bunch of different sites, like Angola Prison in Louisiana. He goes to the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana. He goes to Blandford Cemetery, which is in Virginia. It's a Confederate cemetery. He goes to uh, like Wall Street in New York City, where there was major slave markets, and he talks to people and he talks to the tour guides, and he talks to the people on the tours, and then he does his own research, and he sort of unpacks the way that we understand American chattel slavery and and what that means for the future. And he's a poet, and so his writing is so beautiful, and it's it's a little memoir. It's a little history. It's so readable, and I just, I loved it. I loved it.
1: Just hearing you talk now, I didn't know that slaves were traded on Wall Street. I had no idea. I got to get this book.
2: Yeah, wow. it's so good. Yeah,
3: he's a really great follow on Twitter as well. He was, is. Yeah. He's he's <laughs> yeah. just great.
2: I just, I love Clint Smith.
1: Okay, love it. Barry, one more.
3: Okay, so I want to recommend, in the same sort of vein as helping people to sort of get back to reading, I think short stories really help. Mm. So this is also a book that is not coming out yet, but it is it it will be out June 22nd, but I highly, highly recommend it. It's by Brandon Taylor, and it's called Filthy Animals.
2: I was hoping someone would recommend this. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, knew it. I, knew we were re- I knew we were reading friends. Um yeah. anyway, so it is a gorgeous, gorgeous group of stories. Now you probably know Brandon Taylor because his first novel, which is his debut called Real Life, was uh shortlisted for the booker. But Filthy Animals is is almost um it's just I almost like it better. Um mm. each story is so specific about uh, ways that we move through particular settings in life. So there are some sentences in this book that I just like, it was like the book just burst into flame because wow. I, wow. you know, he is the kind of person who can say, Uh, he can describe a feeling in a way that you really have never read that feeling described before and you will recognize it or identify with it or seek it out in other people, which is what I believe fiction's job is. So anyway, that's, so Brandon Taylor, the book is Filthy Animals and, um, it's coming out June 22nd.
1: All right. It's funny. I was just sharing one of his Substack essays, uh, this morning. He does this really smart thing, which you, um, like mentioned, he says these things that you've been feeling forever, but he mm-hmm. makes it plain in this way that is just profound, and he verbalizes That's it for right. you.
3: That's right. He's so. That's funny. right. And his. We should say that his Substack is called Sweater Weather, and <laughs> I just—he is a, just an incredible talent.
1: He's really good. Also, Substack is reading that counts, y'all. <laughs> it is
3: reading. It That's is right.
2: reading.
1: All right, it is time for a break. When we come back, I play a very special book-themed Who Said That with my two bookworm guests. Stay with us.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from the BBC with Where to Be a Woman. Join hosts Sachi Cole and Sophia Smith-Gaylor to find out where in the world women can live their best lives. Search for Where to Be a Woman from BBC Podcasts.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. TeleDoc Health understands whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight. TeleDoc Health can help. Visit TeleDocHealth.com/slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T E L A D O C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to vioricom NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside.
1: We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm your host, Sam Sanders, joined this week by a panel of book nerds. Tell folks who you are. I'm
2: Tracy Thomas. I'm the host of The Stacks, a podcast all about books.
3: I'm Barry Hardyman. I am an editor at NPR, and I am a books editor at Weekend Edition.
1: Barry, I believe you've played Who Said That before. Tracy, you mentioned earlier that you always win at home, mm-hmm. but I regret to inform you both. I don't regret. I'm happy about it. This Who Said That will be unlike any other Who Said That that we have played before. We made this one special just about books.
2: Ooh, M-A, M-A. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that?
1: And we're very proud of it. This week on The Game, we're going to name movie quotes from 90s movies, but all the movies are adaptations of books. Oh, that is kind of good.
2: I'm going to lose this so quickly. No, I'm going to lose so fast. I don't, I don't watch movies. I have to read books. My <laughs> God, I'm going to fail. But
1: some of these movies are classics. Some of these you're just going to know. I promise. And so y'all can name the character who says the quote. Y'all can name the actor or actress that says the quote, y'all can name the movie. But I guess you get the most fake points if you name the book it comes from. Okay? Oh okay. my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. First quote. Why should I listen to you anyway?
3: You're a virgin
1: who can't drive. I know. <laughs> Do it. <laughs>
2: Clueless. Yes. Clueless. See, and you had it's nothing Ty. To fear. And I knew that.
1: <laughs> yep.
2: Rolling with the homies. That's right. Yes.
1: Ty is played by? Brittany. Murphy.
2: Murphy. Brittany Murphy. Yes. yes. And it's and the- an adaptation of um an old book that I've never read because I don't read classics, but Emma? Yes. Emma
3: by Jane Austen. Wow. That's right. I-,
2: I feel that I get a thousand points and the game is over. Can I win? <laughs> yeah. I-, I think I think you should get extra. Thank you. Thank you, Barry.
1: I love it. I also miss that time in the 90s where like all the rom-coms were just like 90s movie versions of, like, classics. Yeah. It was really fun. I was into that.
2: I just miss really good rom-coms. I love a rom-com.
1: Yeah, although, you know, when you watch them again now it's different like i've been re-watching julia roberts rom-coms mm-hmm. and decades later you're like oh is this sending the right message to all of us i mean she's still great <laughs> yeah no that's a real
3: thing it's like no more john hughes for my kids <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah all right here is the next quote you think that monkeys mosquitoes and lions are bad that is just the beginning I've seen things you've only seen in your nightmares.
2: Oh, I think I know. Say it. Jumanji? Yes!
0: Okay! <laughs> now I All feel right. really
2: embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who says it, but I'm assuming it's, it's Robin Williams' character.
1: It is? Yeah. Afraid? You don't even know what afraid is. You're like that person who's, like, at the bar and is like, I don't really know how to play pool. And then you win the game and get, like, $1,000.
2: I am a who-said-that shark. I'm a who-said-that shark. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Newman.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You got it right. That's Robin Williams as Alan Parrish in Jumanji. And I didn't know until this week that Jumanji was based on a book. A picture book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, written by Chris Van Allsburg.
2: Ugh, who I love. Yeah, I loved it in my library in, in elementary school.
1: They've made several new Jumanjis since the Robin Williams Jumanji, and one of the Jumanjis has one of the Jonas Brothers in it. It does? Uh, what? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I know they did one with like Kevin Hart and The Rock or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's the... I
3: feel like you guys are just saying made-up things right now.
1: No, they're... <laughs> Google Jonas Brother Jumanji. It's a whole movie. I think I made some good money, too.
3: I mean, I'm always Googling Jonas Brother, so <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> All right, last quote, and this is my absolute favorite. Here we go. Ma'am, were you aware that your car was on fire? Ma'am, did you start this fire?
0: It's against the law to burn anything except trash in your own yard, ma'am. It is trash. It's a nice area. Luckily, I never cared enough. The next time you want to burn something, it won't happen again.
1: One of the most iconic scenes of a woman burning something down ever in film history. Y'all know Waiting this. Waiting to exhale? Yeah. Yes!
3: Hey. It's the best gif of all time as well. Oh my Liz, God. That's right.
1: Describe that scene for our listeners. Make it vivid in their minds because it's so beautiful.
2: Uh, okay. Um, Angela Bassett. That's right. Takes all of her husband's stuff... I recognize this is NPR, so I will use the appropriate language, (laughs) stuff.
3: Hey, I talked about underpants.
2: And takes it to his
1: vehicle. His Mercedes.
2: Yes, his Mercedes in the Mm -hmm. front of their mansion and lights that stuff Mm -hmm. on fire Mm -hmm. as revenge.
1: As she smokes a cigarette. And walks the F away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. And
2: you're like, no one should ever do anything to me because I now have a blueprint for how I will live the rest of my life.
3: <laughs> and we should say that that one is by Terry McMillan, who also has written like a lot of great, awesome, like super fun, especially like summer reads that have been oh, made yeah. into movies, like How Stella Got Her Groove Back and other things. Exactly. So, yeah. And I feel like isn't the soundtrack to that? So Shoop is on there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Brandy, my room is on there. Mary J. Blige, I think "Not Gonna Cry" is on there. That's one of the better soundtracks of, uh, of life of that decade. Yeah, yeah. On that note, uh, Tracy, I win. You swept it. Yes, you won. You won, and you were sitting here being scared and doubtful and worried.
2: Well, I was nervous.
1: Uh, well, thank you both for coming and talking books this episode. I have been wanting to make this happen for a long time, and uh, we're gonna do it again soon. Okay.
2: Please. This is my dream come true. And I just is is after this. Are you guys going to do the best thing that happened in people's weeks?
1: We are. We are. Uh,
2: that makes me cry every week. And I told my husband I'm so embarrassed because it's becoming a thing that is so embarrassing to just be crying while people are like, I went to the doctor and had my blood drawn and it was great. And I'm like, yes, you did.
1: <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Before I let you go, uh, Barry, Tracy, tell folks where and how to find you.
2: You can find me on Instagram at The Stacks Pod, and you can find The Stacks Podcast every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm on Twitter um, at the Stacks Pod underscore. That's me.
3: You can find me on Twitter at B. Hardyman. That's B-H-A-R-D-Y-M-O-N.
1: Perfect. Thank you both so much. Thank I'm you. I'm going to go read a book right now. Uh, listeners, go read something.
0: Now it's
2: time
1: to end the show as we always do. Every week, listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag, and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions.
4: Hey, Sam, it's Kelly in Seattle. After over a year, I finally got to hug my 88-year-old father today. And it's not only the best thing that happened this week, but the best thing that happened this year.
3: Hi Sam, this is Randy. Just want to say the best part of my week is my son graduating high school. He has autism and really didn't speak much until he was about four years of age, and now he's heading off to college with the full ride to study chemistry and computer science.
2: Hi Sam, this is Clara from Tacoma, Washington. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I got to meet my sweet 10-month-old nephew for the first time since he was born. I'm so excited. I'm sitting here with my sister. Hi, Sam. And um, little baby Nathan, can you say hello? (laughs) And uh, we just couldn't be more happy to be together and finally meet. Hi, Sam. This is Lee from Encinitas. And the best part of my week was playing in our neighborhood garage band. We kind of put this band together over COVID when we had no way to hang out with anyone else, and uh, I don't know if we'll ever play for anybody, but it's certainly crossing off a bucket list item, and I get to pretend I'm a total rock and roll star. <laughs> hey Sam, this is Brooke from Seattle, and the best part of my week was going out to ice cream with my 11-year-old and sitting at the park at our favorite spot for the first time in a while. And while we were sitting there, my very philosophical kiddo uh, said, You know, Mom, I feel like the wound of COVID is starting to heal over. The skin uh, is starting to grow back, but there's always going to be a scar. And then we promptly went back to talking about The Simpsons, and I felt like my little one sort of just summed up what we all are feeling right now. Thanks. I hope you guys all had a great week, too.
1: Thanks for your show.
2: Thanks for all you do. We love your show. Bye.
1: Thanks to all those folks you just heard, Brooke, Lee, Clara, Randy, and Kelly. Listeners, don't forget, you can share the best part of your week with the show at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself and send that voice memo to us via email, samsanders at npr.org. All right, this week It's Been a Minute was produced by Danae West, Andrea Gutierrez, Sylvie Douglas, and Liam McBain. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right, listeners, till next time. I'm Sam Sanders. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk soon.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com
0: NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learn. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections.